like. Last week, Alan was, was really doing an introduction to this thing and talked about how for us to live this life that Jesus lived, we need to be empowered, we need to be filled by the Spirit, that without the Spirit, we can't actually do the things uh, that Jesus did really at all. Um, and actually, w when we are sort of not willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit, our only option is behavior modification, where we work really, really, really hard to do the things that Jesus did. And actually, Jesus did the things that he did because he was of God, but he was also filled with the Spirit from the very start. And Alan went through that. And so, you know, I would just say to you that if you think the Christian life is hard, yes, in lots of ways it is, but it is impossible without an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Um, and our original design is to be like Jesus, and the only way that we can do that is through this infilling. And so uh, we're going through our key practices. I had to make my own slide because the one from last week had what in it? See, I had a spelling mistake. Did it, nobody notice that last week? You did, thank you. Praticuses, the yeah, six praticuses that we were supposed to be doing. But, um, so these ones, I hope, see, and then I haven't actually spell-checked this document. And I should have just kept my quiet. But anyway, these are the six practices. Um, prayer and worship, creativity, hospitality and generosity, compassion and justice, discipleship and mission. And what we believe as a leadership in the church is that... If we can journey these things and grow in these things more and more, that they will. The Holy Spirit, that we're going to be able to do them effectively. So, um, our first one I'm going to talk about today is prayer and worship. And so, thank you for filling out the survey. If you did the last survey. If you didn't, um, I don't know whether you did or not because it was all anonymous, um, but th there's another survey at the minute. You would have got the email um, with the link on it last Sunday and again on Friday. It, uh, by the end of today, then the survey kind of finishes, but it would be really good to get your input and to hear from you by just taking a couple of minutes to fill out that survey. It really helps us. But when it comes to prayer, um, you know, what our survey showed us was that 65% of you pray more than once a day, which is fantastic. And most of you pray, you know, at least once a week. Um, and again, when we value something, it's something that we do a lot of the time. And it's great to kind of see that um, we pray. And Jesus prayed too. And actually, what we see in the life of Jesus is that although he was God, prayer was a regular pattern in this life. And so these two scriptures would be a good example. Uh, in Matthew 14 and Mark 1, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, there he w was there alone. And then um, in Math Mark 1 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so we see in these... Um, different times in Jesus' life, even in the busyness that was around him in his public ministry, he took time out to pray. And the gospel writers recorded those things for us because they wanted us to appreciate that there was a pattern there. And this one here, I think is very important too. It's a similar sort of thing, but in Luke 
5, 15 to 16, it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, and this was after he had done a miracle, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so in the middle of his public ministry, in the busyness of that, and as it got busier, and things, and like Jesus was really popular, loads of people wanted to see him, he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And so when the crowds were all around him, he had to be intentional about that. He had to go somewhere away from others. And you know, Jesus said that he didn't do anything except that, he, that the Father spoke to him. But yet we see him daily on a regular basis going away somewhere to pray. Um, and a lot of the time this was in the morning and this was in the evening. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the fact that there are different types of time, and we, you know, it would be unfair to say that Jesus only prayed when he went to those places. He was praying all the time. He was in constant communion with the Father, but yet it records the fact that he prayed in a different way. And um, I was thinking about quality time, and when we're talking about relationships, and particularly marriage relationship, we, we often talk about quality time. Now, if I worked in a company and I worked with my wife eight hours a day in, in the same company, in the same business, I could say, you know, me and my wife, would spend a lot of time together. But that wouldn't necessarily really mean anything because the question would be, but is it quality time? Do you spend quality time together? And quality time is different. Um, you know, a romantic meal, a walk to, in the park together, these are the sorts of things when you want to invest in relationship, while she may be doing things, you may be active as a family in the house together, as a couple, you take time out to have quality time. And so we too need to think about that. You can pray through the day, you can pray continually. Um, and actually, uh, Brother Lawrence talks about this um, when he says that we should establish ourselves in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him, that it was a shameful thing to quit his conversation to think of trifles and fillories. I don't know how often you think of trifles and fillories, but I think about them a lot. Um, but what we should do is have a continual conversation with God. And we know that Jesus did that. So Jesus did two things. He had a continual conversation with God in prayer, but he also took time out to pray as well, because we need both. And we need that acknowledgement of God continually in our lives that he is there, and we need to set aside time. And in the Bible, it kind of talks about this sense of being with God. And Jesus said in John 15, Remain in me as I am in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So these two forms of prayer that you see where Jesus was in continual um, communion with the Father, but also he took time out to spend time with the Father. These two things are building in him a lifestyle of remaining. And actually, the word that we quite often get in our more traditional versions of the Bible is this word, abide, abide in me. And we all know a little song about that as well. And it is this sense of continually staying with, abide with me, come and be with me and stay with me. 
quality time and journeying together. And so we can do nothing except that we abide in God. And the way that we do that is through prayer. In our survey, we we saw that um, we think this is worthwhile. In fact, 93% of people in this church say that they hear from God. And over half of those that they hear from God daily or weekly. And we can hear from God in lots of different ways. And again, in our survey, what we find was that people hear from God in, in, in a whole variety of ways. We hear from God through, through Scripture, um, through the inner voice and leading of the Spirit, through worship, through prophecy, through creation, and lots of other things that we're learning to hear the voice of God and respond to Him. That we uh, journey with Him in life. But one of the things about prayer that I think we just need to talk about is that a lot of the time it can be one way. And actually sometimes we teach our kids that it's one way. And so we say, right, say your prayers. And what do you do when you finish saying your prayers? So you, give, you go for your list, you pray for, for granny and granda, and you pray for the world, you pay, pray for peace, you pray for whatever's going on in your life, and you say amen, and after doing that, you do whatever else you were going to do that day. And what have you forgotten to do? Listen. And it, it, that really struck me, you know, when I was thinking this week, we've taught our children far too often to pray a list of things, and that prayer finishes when we've run out of things to say, and we stop. It's become a bit of a one-way conversation. But if Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing, then he must have listened. He must have spent that time not just rhyming off the things that he wanted or saying things to God. He must have listened as well. Uh, And we know that we can do that. Now, the thing about Jesus is that the disciples who knew how to pray, they knew lots of formal prayers. They had been schooled in prayer all of their lives. They see something different in Jesus. They see something about the way that he prays, and they say, will you teach us to pray like that? And and so therefore, we have the Lord's Prayer. And the thing about the Lord's Prayer is that it's not just a prayer. It's a way of praying. It's a way of praying that we need to kind of see beyond the formal structure of the prayer. And it comes from this place. Jesus talking to his disciples and he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask. This is then how you should pray. So first thing about this particular passage is that it has the word father in it three times. What Jesus is saying, when you pray, you're talking to Father. And then the prayer that we all know starts, Our Father. And the big thing about that, if you've ever learned, heard anybody preaching about it, is the significance of the word Father. Is that for Jewish people of that particular time, to use the word Father would have been quite radical. It would have been like, are we even allowed to do that? And it's interesting as well that he says, don't keep on babbling like pagans. 
to think that the more words you fire up there, the more likely you are to be heard. Who, has anybody ever done that? You think, like, I'm just going to go for it. Um, personally, I did this uh, when, I, when I decided to become a Christian as a child because I was t absolutely terrified, genuinely terrified of going to hell. I was genuinely terrified of going to heaven as well. Um, and the reason for that is because I thought heaven would be like church. It's about an eternity of being in church or being on fire. I'm going to go for the being in church over the going on in fire, but like, what kind of choice is that? Um, so anyway, we think sometimes that the more we throw up our prayers and the more we talk, that in some way, God, who is maybe easily distracted or hard of hearing, will hear one of those prayers and go, oh, so I didn't quite hear you there. What was that you were saying again? Um, and, and he'll hear us. But Jesus says, your father already knows what you want before you, need, before you ask. So he's interested. He's looking at your life. He's involved. It isn't like, you know, that, that God's going, oh, I already know that. I know you want that. But I'm going to sort you out. It's actually that God is involved in your life. He's connected with you. He's in relationship with you. He's journeying with you. So, of course, he knows what it is that you want, but also he's your father. And the revelation of this to the Jewish people was that you can draw close to God in this relational way. And so here we have our prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then we like to add on, the lion's kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And we are overly familiar with the prayer. Um, but yet the radical nature of it is that the start is our Father. And then we have in heaven. And so we have this intimacy, uh, an immediacy, and yet we have the awesomeness. God is your Father. He's in heaven. He's two things. And the, this provides a context of the conversation and the relationship that we're going to have with God. And so just as a bit of a side point, one of the, the interesting things that I think that we have an opportunity to do in our culture is to, when we're talking to people who don't know Jesus, to use this prayer as a context for explaining who God is. Because everybody who doesn't know Jesus, more or less, in this country, knows that prayer. Okay? It is a, a, a great context from which to start. Because they'll know it, but they don't know it. They know it by repetition, but they don't know it by revelation. We can say to them, do you know that prayer, Our Father in heaven? Your kingdom come, your will be done. You see... Jesus came to the earth to connect humanity back to family again. That the story of Christianity is about the father sending the son to connect all the little orphan children back to the father and to bring them into family and relationship again. That's what Christianity is about. And it's about the coming of God's kingdom, God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're about as a church, is that we want to see things turned around in our society and in our culture to start looking a little bit more like heaven on earth. 
And so I would just encourage you, if you know somebody that isn't a Christian, they'll know this prayer, and they'll know it off the top of their head, that there are so many opportunities to talk about the kingdom of God through this prayer. But in, in any story, in any narrative, at the start, and if you're reading books or watching movies and things like that, there's a context. And the context provides, if you like, the framework for an experience. And so um, here's, here's a couple of, of little starters of context from our culture that I like. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah? Where's that from? Okay, at the start of the movie, the words come up on the screen, and then this whole ream of words come up on the screen, and what is it doing? It's saying to the person watching the movie, here's the context, here's where we're going in the story, what it's going to look like. It's a long time ago, it's a galaxy far away, um, and, and an even better one is, is this, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of, right? It's five-year mission, because I'm old school, <laughs> to explore strange new worlds and seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. The start of every Star Trek episode, when I was a child growing up, I think it was a Friday night, this would come on, and I knew that this was going to transport me these words into a different world where anything was possible. They're going in this spaceship through space and all sorts of stuff was going to happen. And so, what has this got to do with the Lord's Prayer? It does actually have something to do with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven is the context of the whole prayer. It's the context of relationship with God. Our Father, who is drawn close to us from heaven, who created the heavens and the universe. Hallowed be your name. We worship your name. Jesus is saying, here is the context. The God of the heavens is our Father, and we can have relationship with him. And from then, we want to pray about his kingdom to, become, to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that is our, not five-year mission, but our ongoing mission is to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is the context because this was never meant to be a prayer. It is a nice prayer. Don't get me wrong. But the disciples, when they were asking, uh, it's in the, the other version of this in the Gospels, said, teach us how to pray. They wanted to know, how do you pray? What is it you talk about? What kind of stuff's going on? And so this is more of a structure of a framework than it is a prayer itself. So we come to God in the midst of our busyness and the craziness of our day, and we say, Father in heaven. And we grab a hold of that. And whatever else is going on in life, whatever else is going on in our day, we pause and we focus in that place. And actually, then, um, there's a little acronym that goes uh, along beside that. Um, so on the left-hand side, you have it in English, and on the right-hand side, you have it in Lithuanian. Okay. Uh, for our friends, and the great thing about Lithuanian is I've uh, discovered that there's so many of their words begin with P, <laughs> which is fantastic if you're a preacher and a Christian, because a sermon that has four points to begin with P is probably the best kind of sermon you're ever going to get. But back to the left-hand side, 
pray. This is not me, by the way. This is Pete Gregg. And Pete Gregg didn't come up with stuff on the right. That's just the original from me. But on the left-hand side, he divides the Lord's Prayer up into pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And so he says, here's a rhythm for prayer. We pause our Father in heaven. That's our first point. We focus in on who he is. We take time out. We press pause on life and rejoice. So I'm going to, I am going to look at pause and rejoice. You'll be glad to know. Um, today, and then I think whoever's doing next week is doing ask and yield. Um, so when we press pause on life, press the pause button, and don't we all wish that there was a pause button on life? There's a movie um, with Adam Sandler called Click, which is kind of like where he has an actual full-on remote control for life. Very, very good. Um, I'll maybe work in this sermon uh, sometime soon for you. But we pause, and prayer, and Jesus took this time out to pause, to actually go, regardless of what's going on in life and the busyness of life, prayer is the pause button where we reference ourselves again with who we are and who God is. And we reference ourselves, our Father, and if, we're, if he is our Father, we're a son and daughter in heaven. And so we focus in on God. And this pause in our life, it's difficult at times because we live such busy lives. But when we pause and when we look at God, we find that when we look back at our circumstances and our situations in life, that they change. That how we understand them changes, how we relate to things and people changes because we've taken time aside. And so one of those verses I've quoted earlier was from Mark chapter 1. And it's the very start of Jesus' ministry. And he's just healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then loads of people are brought to, to the house and he starts praying for them. And they all get healed and stuff is happening. And Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray, and the disciples go looking for him, and they go say, Jesus, where are you? There's loads of people here. People are getting healed. There's like a big, massive crowd. It's just fantastic. But Jesus has just been up on the mountain to pray. And so he responds not to his disciples, not to the crowd, but to where he has been with the Father. And so he says something which is counterintuitive, and certainly to us in the church for being counterintuitive. He says, See that big, massive crowd and all that exciting stuff? That's not where it's at. I've just been with the Father. And the Father says, go into all the other villages and towns and tell people about me also. So do you know what? I know there's a big crowd there, but we're going to go here. Because he pressed pause on his life, and he orientated himself around God, and he responded from that place. And so what we would like to encourage you to do is think, what kind of rhythm do I have in my life where I press the pause button. Some of us might feel like we don't have much opportunity to press pause, because if we press pause and there was another button called fast forward, we would need to press that one to get back on track. But those times, whether it's 10 minutes a day, a little bit of time in the morning or the evening, those regular times of just focusing in on God and who he is and who he says you are and what he's calling you to do, those are really key times to build in your life in prayer. Over the last number of weeks, I've uh, had the great um, pleasure of getting up earlier than I like to get up in the morning because um, one of our children gets a really early bus. 
And after a couple of days, I thought, you know what? I get up in the morning, wake this child up, get back into bed, and um, I could just stop doing that. And just, when I'm up, stay up. And so I go downstairs and I get 20 minutes on my own, which is fantastic to spend time with God. And I've made that a daily pattern in my life. I would probably be more like an evening person or you know, a few minutes here and there during the day. But for me right now in my life, I find I can press pause at the very start of my day. But what does that look like for you? So the second one is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this is about worship. And so in the, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's about declaring who God is, about worship. And worship needs, again, to be a regular pattern in our lives. It needs to be something that we pause, when we press the pause button, that prayer and worship always go together, um, that a major part of our prayer is worshiping God. When we did our survey, it was great to find out that, that we engage in worship in lots of different ways, that we've learned to engage in, in singing-based worship and prayer-based worship, that we can worship and, and understand God through creation and, and lots of different expressions um, of worshiping God, that we actually know how to worship God through what we do and, and whether we work in business or, or with our children, that we understand the things that we do can be of worship to God. But again, worship to God does something to us. It does something to our hearts. It does something to our minds. It does something to our perspective. When life is going really, really bad, when things are terrible, I have learned that my first response, if it's worship, changes all of my responses to the situation and to the circumstance. Rather than running to God with a list of problems, we run to God with a list of how great and wonderful he is. And we worship him and we declare that. We declare how good he is. And what happens in those moments is that we, instead of looking down or looking directly at our problem or our immediate circumstances, we look up and we see God and we see who he is and we see how big and powerful he is how loving he is towards us, and we go, I thought I was in the middle of a disaster. But I've just looked at God. Oh, this isn't so bad. And oh, God is with me. I think, I think we could do this. But very often we are dictated to by our circumstances, by whatever's going on in that moment. Um, so a little, little worship song uh, that, that kind of speaks about this. You might know it. It's called Love Came Down by Carrie Job. I'm not going to sing it. I'm not. I know some of you would want me to, but I'm not. I'll just read it out. It says, If my heart is overwhelmed and I cannot hear your voice, I hold on to what is true, though I cannot see. If the storms of life, they come and the road ahead gets steep, I will lift these hands in faith. I will believe. I'll remind myself of all that you've done and the life I have because of your son. And... And then we experience the love that rescues us. We know again that we're gods, that whatever circumstances we're going um, through, up or down, mountain or valley, we remind ourselves that we are gods. And it changes how we see 
how we understand and how we journey. That worship is transformational to how we live life. And we remind ourselves that we're God's, that we're loved, that he is with us. And so whether it's in singing or prayer, we see that worship actually becomes a weapon of our warfare. And so sometimes we go to corporate prayer, corporate prayer we have every other week. It was here last Wednesday, and it'll be on in two weeks' time, uh, or we can have time in Lurgan. And sometimes people say, you know, we're not doing so much praying. You know, we need to be doing more praying. We're doing a lot of worshiping in corporate prayer. Um, but worship is one of our key elements of warfare. Because we are praying, we're singing out, we're declaring who God is above and beyond anything, any situation, any circumstance. We see this in scripture as well. Um, children of Israel uh, faced a battle against the Moabites. It's in Second Chronicles 20. Um, and Jehoshaphat was leading the army. And so this is what it says. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for, for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. Could you imagine that, right? You've got like all these guys and we're going to go into battle. They've got their swords and their shields, and you've got 10,000 men, but you know this other army, they've got like all these amazing chariots and all this really good kind of fighting stuff, and you go, right, guys, who, who's good at singing? Yous are at the front. Right? If that was me, I don't know if I'd be good announce myself as good at singing, but you'd be kind of thinking, like, what good is that going to do? But what happens is, that they, they said, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise the Lord, uh, praise, comma, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Is that actually worship can be our warfare. More than trying to figure out how we're going to sort this situation, more than battling in our own strength, that worship is our warfare. And so prayer and worship, we believe, as part of our six practices, these are the things that are going to allow us to journey through life. Because life out there is crazy. So let me just give you, as I'm finishing, a bit of a random scenario. Spend half an hour reading the news, and then tell me how you feel. It's all crazy out there, isn't it? You know, all sorts of craziness going on. How does that make you feel? Then spend half an hour in worship. Now, how do you feel? Because the circumstances and the things going on around in the world haven't changed in that second half an hour. But what has changed is your perspective because you've taken your eyes off the immediacy of all sorts of problems in the world. And some major things are going on. And we should rightly watch the news and pray for those things. But now I've gone and I've actually renewed myself in who God is. I'm looking at the world a little bit differently. And I have faith again to believe that God can move. And I trust again that he is going to be with me through whatever circumstances. 
And I think, you know what, whether there's Brexit or there's not Brexit, whether our government is going to work or not doesn't change the fact that God is, is God, that he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that I am his child, that I am his son, and that I have a place in his family. And from that knowledge, I'm going to read the news. From that knowledge, I'm going to engage with my community and society. From that experience, I'm going to think about um, how I engage with, with politics or, or whatever it happens to be, or how I personally take responsibility for some of the brokenness in the world. But it's going to be from that place of worship. It's going to be from a renewed mind that I'm going to do those things. So it's 12 o'clock, and uh, we're going to finish. And what I want to do is just invite the Holy Spirit to come and really speak to us uh, and encourage us to really build these, these patterns of, of worship and prayer in our lives that are going to, to be the renewing points uh, of us on a daily basis. And so we, we want to see that continual prayer and a continual worship in our lives. But those pause moments, we really need those to center ourselves, to detach ourselves from the busyness of the world and to find God like Jesus did. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for teaching us how to pray. We thank you for the form of words that we find in Scripture, but we thank you as well that more than just a form of words, that there is a way of praying, that there is a way of worshipping, that we have the opportunity, God, to model ourselves on you. And so, Jesus, come and teach us how to pray continually, how to respond to the voice of the Father, how to abide in you, and teach us how to press pause on the busyness of our worlds and of our lives, to, to carve out that space and that time to really hear from you, that our perspective would change, that our true north would be you, God, that we would navigate from a place of seeing you and understanding you. So, Lord, would you come and and through the work and the power of your Holy Spirit, is teach us how to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So our service is over, uh, but if you would like prayer for any reason, we'd love to pray with you this morning. If God has been speaking to you about anything this morning, we'd love to pray with you about that. If you need prayer for healing or anything else that's going on, please come up.